Good morning. Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, We're going to be in this text and trying to answer a question, a very important question this morning. Um, Larry and Patsy came in, they they saw me on TV this morning. You know what, I I wasn't even aware that I was going to be on TV this morning. I thought that was supposed to air on later in July, but nevertheless, uh, I was I had the privilege of uh, taking part in a series that's uh, being shown on 42 Channel 42 on what is true. That's hosted by Dennis Carroll most of the time, but uh, I he asked me to do a couple of lessons on the Bible. Uh, question number one: Why did God give us the Bible? Question number two. Uh, what is the internal evidence for the Bible being God's word? That particular study will and should air next Sunday morning, apparently. Uh, but uh, the first lesson, why did God give us the Bible, was uh, the subject this morning on what is true. So maybe you'd like to check that out. Actually, that's what I'm teaching, preaching on this morning. Like I said, I didn't know that, that was going to be on earlier. So uh, Larry's going to get a double dose. <laughs> but this is a little bit more involved, and I do wish that the projector was working this morning because I do have some charts, I think, that will help us to visualize uh, some of the points that we're going to be making. But nevertheless, the projector is out. I do apologize for that. I have tried, and let me just one more time, give it a shot, but uh, it's not coming on this morning. It's not, uh, the bulb is not uh, initiating, so keep my fingers crossed and... No, it went off again. It started, but it went off, so I have to get that fixed, Lord willing, this week. But it is good to see everybody. We have several who are visiting with us, and again, thank you for being with us. And if you have any questions at all about anything that you hear taught or anything that you see practiced, ask me about them. Uh, I would love to sit down with you and open my heart and open my Bible and examine what God has to say about whatever it is that you're curious about. Why do we do certain things? Why do we do the things that we do the way we do them? I'd like to, you know, if you have a question about anything, let us know. Why did God give us the Bible? The attitudes toward the Bible these days, uh, how would I describe it? Um, People just have an attitude like the Bible is just an old fuddy-dope study book that's written 2,000 plus years ago by a bunch of sheep herders, and they don't know much of anything about what we are facing today. So even if people believe that the Bible was relevant back then, they will sometimes think that it has no relevancy today. Others, of course, deny the Bible being of God and having any relevance at all at any point in time. And we live in a time in which truth is so, I'm thought, let me rephrase that. Truth is not, but people's attitude towards the Bible and the Word of God and the truth is that everything is subjective. There is no absolute standard. There is no absolute truth. There is nothing that is objective and concrete. And you can say, look, this is the truth. Well, that's the attitude that so many people have today. But let me submit to you that God's word is true. John 17, 17. 
Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And so the word of God, the Bible, according to the Bible, is the truth. Despite what people might think today. People have relegated moral absolutes and doctrinal theology and and the teaching of God's word is inconsequential in relevance to their lives today. Sadly, many people completely and totally discount God's word in their life. The emphasis of feelings and emotion has taken the forefront in how truth Put that in quotes. How truth is determined. I feel this to be true. I think this to be true. And this is my opinion of what is true. And then they'll quickly say, but you know, your opinion and my opinion, they don't really matter. One is just as good as another. And if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty, if you're just talking about opinions, that's true unless... Your opinion is rooted and grounded in what God says. <laughs> then, because of the source of your opinion, your opinion is going to be more valuable. <laughs> and so we have this negative attitude towards the Bible. Um, George Barner has recently done a lot of research once again in regard to the Bible and America's attitude towards the Bible, specifically those who profess to be Christians in America and their attitude towards the Bible. And by age groups, it's rather uh, troubling to see the trends that are taking place. For example, the 18 to 27 age group, only 34% of professing Christians within that age group, only 34% think that the Bible has any value at all in their everyday life. Only 34% of professing Christians believe that the Bible has any relevance in their everyday life. Again, that's from 18 to 27. You jump up to those who are 66 years old and above, that number is 62%. That's almost 50% difference. That's, that's how much things are changing. Also, the Bible talks about those who have a form of godliness but deny its power in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. People have a lot of weird ideas in relationship to what the Bible teaches. And I'm seeing that more and more on Facebook. All the crazy questions that people are asking and some of the positions that people take. But some more very basic and fundamental questions people have issues with. You know, does Satan exist? 60% today who profess to be Christians say no. 60% of professed Christians today say that Satan doesn't exist. Where do they get that idea from? 40% believe Jesus committed sin. 40% believe that the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Koran are all equally holy. That's professed Christians. 40% of professed Christians today believe that the Book of Mormon and the Koran are just as holy as the Bible. 70% of professed Christians today 
believe that there is no such thing as moral absolutes. 70% believe there is no such thing as moral absolutes. Everything is subjective. Everything is based on how we feel about something. Only 10% of professed Christians surveyed say that their moral decisions are based upon what the Bible teaches. And 54% believe that truth is discovered only through reason, logic, and experience. Where is the Bible? Well, there are many different and very negative changes taking place in our culture regarding the Bible. May I submit to you that there is no way that we will believe more than what we know. We will be ignorant of God's Word, and therefore our faith will be subject to our ignorance. And thus, more and more unbelievers will actually be the result of that ignorance of God's Word, Many fronts of moral compromise in this generation can be directly attached, directly attached to people's ignorance of what God says. Illiteracy in the pews. Preachers, preachers are not preaching the word these days. They're preaching positive mental attitude sermons that are trying to lift people up and make them feel good about themselves where they are. They are appealing to the masses and... They, they formulate their sermons to be appealing to the world instead of transforming the world. Instead of teaching the truth of God's Word, we try to teach other people's truth so that they'll feel good about themselves and they'll be a part of our group so that we can have more money to do what we want to do. And so it's about the numbers. In fact, there are many churches that send out polls in their community about what they believe and what they want in a church. And so they get the feedback and they formulate their church to fit what people want instead of fitting God's Word to their church and then teaching that Word and thus forming a church based upon what God says instead of what man wants. Much of what we see today as professed Christianity is nothing more than glorified country clubs fitting the needs of, of the desires of the people in the world. And that is truly a sad change that has taken place. Where is the Bible? Without knowledge of God's Word, we cannot have true faith. Without knowledge of God's Word, we cannot and will not understand His will for us. We will not know what is true. Destruction will come upon all those who do not know God's will. In Hosea 4 and verse 6, God says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My friend, what, is true, what was true of Israel in the days of Hosea are also true today. God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. First of all, I want to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and just kind of take this passage and use it as an outline for the rest of our study this morning. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, this is what Paul says. 
All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now those two verses, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, have a lot to say. And I want to submit to you in reference to the question that is before us, why did God give us the Bible? Let's begin with the first statement that Paul makes. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Now, first and foremost, we need to realize that the Scripture, the Bible, is from God. It is not the product of a bunch of sheep herders. And it is not merely the product of men. It is actually the Word of God. The word inspiration means God breathed. The act of inspiring or breathing in. And when applied to the Word of God, theology defines it this way, a supernatural divine influence on the prophets, apostles, or sacred writers by which they were qualified to communicate moral or religious truth with authority, a supernatural influence which qualifies men to receive the communicate divine truth, also the truth communicated. The words that are given to these men who wrote in the New Testament were God's words. The word method of revelation. In the book of 2 Corinthians and the third chapter, I'm sorry, let me back up. Let's go first to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I had a fellow, in fact, just yesterday morning on Facebook make a comment that the Word of God cannot be understood because we do not, um, we cannot just read it and understand it. You have to have something else, he argued. But he was using 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to make that point. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 certainly doesn't make that point. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 has to do with the divine revelation given to the apostles in the first century. In fact, the, the apostle Paul makes this very point that it, this was ordained for them before the ages in verse, verse 7. Uh, and then you get into verse 8 and 9. He's talking about the revelation of God. It's beyond what man is able to see or hear or know in verse, verse 8, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now the application and the understanding of that verse is this. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the context cannot be known by your ears or by your eyes apart from what God has revealed. In other words, Paul is saying this. You cannot of yourself by yourself, separate and apart from what God has revealed in His Word, come to a knowledge of what God wants from you and what God has prepared for you and offers you. You can't know it apart from the revelation. Notice he goes on and he makes this point. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit has revealed these things, he's saying, for what Man, what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. 
Now here's the question. The Spirit of God. Has He revealed those things? Yes, He has. In verse 13, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. The words. He's talking about inspiration in this context. Not our reading and interpretive quality. He's talking about the revelation of these words. And these words are from the Holy Spirit. The word method of, interpret, of inspiration. Thus saith the Lord appears 418 times in the New American Standard Bible. 413 times in the King James. God said occurs 46 more times. God spoke through the prophets. 1 Kings 14, 18, 1 Peter 1, 10, etc., etc. God's Word says that these are His words over and over again. The Spirit of the Lord spoke, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2. We have over and over God's Word saying that it is of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For... Prophecy never, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That verse 20 there says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Peter is not there talking about, again, our understanding or men's interpretation of Scripture. He's talking about the source of Scripture. The prophets did not interpret. They did not just come up with this on their own. They did not take some thought, maybe, that the Holy Spirit put in their mind and then place their own interpretation on the page. The point is that the very words, every word, was given. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. That's inspiration. These men spoke words as these words were given to them. In 1 Corinthians 2, in verses 12 to 13, the passage that we just looked at. Again, let me reiterate this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. These words are from the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 36, Paul there, in making the point that women are to be silent in the churches. Verse 34. Paul follows that up by making this statement. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write... The things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. These things, Paul says, are the commandments of the Lord. What man today has the right to change the commandments of the Lord as he has given them? Does a denomination today, I saw in, uh, this morning, in fact, on my news feed, that, the, uh, that there's a particular denomination that has just appointed and ordained their first lesbian priest. Where did they get the authority to do that? 
Was that from the Word of God? Nope. There are several things wrong with that, my friend. Several things that are contrary to Scripture wrong with that. Let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. This Bible is God's Word, and I nor you have any right to change it. These are the commandments of the Lord. Norman L. Geisler, in his book, From God to Us, How We Got Our Bible, recommend it to anyone who wants to dig deeper into the subject of inspiration and transmission of God's Word. Uh, Mr. Geisler says, The Bible is inspired in the sense that spirit-moved men wrote God-breathed words that are divinely authoritative for Christian faith and practice. That God is the ultimate source and original cause of biblical truth is the first and most fundamental factor in the doctrine of inspiration. The Bible is God's Word. This inspiration, we sometimes use the terms plenary verbal inspiration to define or to describe what the Bible is talking about when it speaks of inspiration. Plenary means total or complete or all. Verbal, words. Complete words is the idea. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God makes this very claim. Everything that is Scripture is from God. And it is verbal. Not, as, not in words that man's wisdom teaches, but at the Holy, as the Holy Spirit teaches. All Scripture is all. Plenary. Verbal inspiration. Something else. Jesus in John 10 and verse 35 makes this point. That the Scripture cannot be broken. Now, in that context, Jesus is answering some objections that the Jewish leadership had for him. And he's making a point, and taking them back into the Old Testament and just quoting a passage of Scripture and pointing out to them that, you know, they believed, allegedly, they believed that the Scripture was from God. So Jesus then takes them back to an Old Testament Scripture pointing to himself, and he makes the application. And he says, look, look, the Scripture cannot be broken. It is true, and it cannot be set aside. It will be fulfilled. It will be what it, what it says. The Scripture is unbreakable. You know what? People can try to change God's Word today. They can rewrite the whole thing if they want to, but God's Word is still God's Word. It is still what it is. It is still the truth. If the whole world rejected the Bible, had a fellow last week, saying, since you cannot, and you admit that you cannot be absolutely perfect in everything you teach about the Bible from the standpoint that, you know, there are things that you don't know. Since, in other words, since you can't know everything perfectly, then we can't know anything. Now, that is actually an absurd way of looking at things, but I think that a lot of ways that people look at things these days are kind of absurd. But that fellow, he was just making the argument that since you can't be 100% confident, of which I can be confident in what God's Word says, it's not about my interpretation. It's not about what I believe. It's not about whether so many people believe it. The question always will go back to God's Word. It is what is true. It is the Word of God. 
Now, I either believe it or I don't. And I'm the one that's going to be held accountable for that. You're going to be held accountable for that too, from your own personal perspective. Do you believe God's Word? The point is, God's Word is God's Word. The smallest letter and Mark, and Mark, or Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18, every jot and every tittle, Jesus says, will not pass from this law till all is fulfilled. Every jot, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, every tittle, every mark that distinguishes one letter from another, every jot and every tittle, that tells you right there to the extent to which the Word of God, the Scripture, was inspired by God. It is the final authority. Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 4 when he was being tempted to turn uh, stones into bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word is the final authority. It is the standard. It is the source to which we must appeal as to what is right or what is wrong. The grammatical number, for example, in Galatians 3 and verse 16, where the Apostle Paul says, the Scripture does not say seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And that seed in the singular, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, the term seed was singular. Therefore, Paul makes an argument based on the singular term seed. Not seeds, but seed. And that seed is one, and that seed is Christ. The grammatical number is inspired. Spelling. Every jot and every tittle. Every word. Even the tense. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, Jesus is making an argument there in answer to the Sadducees who came to him and challenged him regarding the doctrine of the resurrection. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus takes them back again to an Old Testament passage. In verse 31, Jesus says, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Now, okay, he's going to be quoting in verse 32, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. There in verse 32, that is a quote from the book of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6 and verse 15. And so Jesus takes them back to what they all agreed was the word of God. And so he says, I am the God of Abraham. Jesus makes an argument on the verb am. I am, not I was, not I will be, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jesus said this, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. His argument being that in the book of Exodus, which was 400 years after Abraham, 300 years after Isaac and Jacob, after they had died, God still said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thus, Jesus' argument is, since the scripture says, I am, God presently at that point in Exodus chapter 3 was and still is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thus proving the resurrection of the dead. Now you may fail to see the significance of that argument. But the point that I'm wanting to make is this. 
Jesus' argument was based on something that the scribes, the Pharisees, and the, even the Sadducees should have understood. The Word of God is the Word of God, and it is all of God, and there are no errors in it. And if you can see that the word am is significant, then you can understand Jesus' point. Thus, every word in every part of the original manuscript is there because the Holy Spirit directed it to be there. Every word. The very words of the Bible are inspired of God. All of the words in the Bible are inspired of God. We accept God's will through accepting the words of Scripture. Okay? All of God's Word is inspired. Even the, even the words that are quoting, for example, Satan in Matthew chapter 4. Those words are given to Matthew by God through the Holy Spirit. This is what you write. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Okay, so the Word of God is from God. Number two, the Word of God is for these three things. Teaching, doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. For teaching, for reproving, and for correcting. Teaching, that is, the things that we are to teach others and the things that we are to be taught come from the Word of God. That's why God gave us the Bible, to teach us His will, to teach us about Himself, to teach us what He wants us to do, to teach us the things that He has prepared for those who will serve Him, to teach us of the things that will be the consequences for not believing Him. That's what the Word of God is for, to teach us. And to reprove. The word reprove is not a negative so much as it is a positive. To reprove means to prove again. To ascertain the truth of something again. To build upon what you already know. To reprove something. That, and there is a negative connotation from the standpoint of, okay, if there's a question, if there's a doubt, if there is a false teaching, then you take the Bible and you reprove what is true. Acts 17, verse 11, when the Apostle Paul and his company came into Berea. The Bible says that those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. For they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things that they were taught were so. So you reprove, you test the things that are taught. Correcting, to make the correction in people's understanding. In other words, when they're wrong, you take the Bible and you correct them with it. That's what the Bible is for. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, going back to our text, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There are false teachers. And they will grow worse and worse, he says. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them. Now he's talking first and foremost about from himself as an apostle and also from his mother and from his grandmother. He had, in fact, let me just go ahead and read the next verse. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. That's the source that Paul appealed to, the holy scriptures. So all scriptures given, for, by, given by God for 
doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. You want to know what's right? You want to know what's true? Turn to God's Word. There you'll find it. If you want to know what God wants from you, don't turn to a creed book that men wrote in the 1400s. Turn to God's Word. If you want to know what's true, don't turn to the history of the popes or, or to some other denominational dogma. And instead, turn to God's Word. It is in God's Word that we will find everything we need to know in order to please God. That's the only source we truly need. I'm not saying that there aren't other resources that can help us understand certain passages of God's Word. But I will say to you that God's Word is the best interpreter of God's Word. God's Word is the best commentary on God's Word. And it, just like I will tell anybody who's trying to study to be a preacher or a teacher, the most important thing you can do is read God's Word over and over and over. You know the book. So you can teach the book. You know the word so that you can preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. As Paul goes on in the context that, we, context that we've been in. You get into chapter 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all on suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And boy those are the times in which we live today. People heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll turn their ears from the truth unto fables. Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. Words are vehicles of thought. Written or spoken. Spoken words, you know, until recently, spoken words were relegated to the time in which they were spoken unless they were recorded with a pen. Now recently, we've been able to record these words audio, audibly, audibly, and we can go back and we can review what was said. And you, for example, this very lesson this morning, you can go back and review what was said. You can listen to it several times. Historically, that has not been the case. Historically, when words were spoken, that was it. Okay? And so writing was the means of preservation of words. Why did God give us the Bible? Why did he do it the way that he did it? Words, written words, are preserved words. And they form a concrete form of documentary evidence that you can go back and you can re-examine. And you can have it in a form in which you can go back and double check and triple check and you can go back and rebuild. It can be held for future references. Words that are written down can easily be distributed to many people and can even become a bulk method of communication. You can write a bunch and put it in all in one book and, and preserve it. Easily distributed to people. And the accuracy of the information conveyed is the same across the entire audience. For example, if I were to go down and whisper in Benny's ear something, just a small paragraph, and have him turn around and tell Annie, and Annie tell Frida, and then Frida Helen, and on, so on and so on, all the way back until he got back up here to Roger. When he gets back up here to Roger, 
If it's just in a verbal form, I suspect it's going to be very different when Roger repeats it. Because after it goes through so many ears and out so many mouths, all the way back around to Roger, there are going to be some changes made. But if I write it down and I hand it to Benny, and Benny reads it and then hands that back to Annie, and Annie hands it to Frida, and if it's written, it gets back up here to Roger, what's changed? Everybody reads the same thing, and when it gets up here to Roger, it's still going to be the same, exactly the same. It's the same note. So you've got the preservation of the record, the preservation of the words, and the sameness of the words. And that's another thing, talk about copying. Even if Benny were to copy it and pass it around and each person copied it, by looking at the original, by copying it, and then on and on and so forth, it's going to come much closer to being exactly the same as it was when it was originated. And so you've got the preservation. And then you can go back and you can check the copies. You can check Roger's copy with the first copy. You can compare it and you can find out what was actually true. That's what you can do with the written record. That's what you could not do with verbal, merely verbal instruction. In Isaiah 30 and verse 8 it says, Now go, write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll that it may be for a time to time, for time to come, forever and ever. In Jeremiah 30 and verse 2, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. And on and on and on we find this in the Scripture, the instruction to write and to read what was written. Because it is what was written that are the words of God. And these words are to be believed as God's Word. They are for our learning, Romans 15 and verse 4 that we through the patience and comfort of Scriptures might have hope. Why did God give us the Bible? In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 3, how that by revelation, Paul says, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. The Word was written down so that it could then be distributed to people, so that people could read that and then understand what the author wrote. The author being God, the instruments being the men who wrote them, and when we read them, then we read the very words of God, and we can have an understanding of what is true. 2 Peter 1 and verse 12, Peter there says, For this reason I will not... I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Moreover, I will be careful. Verse 15 says, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Now, how did Peter do that? He wrote them down so that they would have them. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of us and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Written down so that they could have them and so that they could learn them. In John 20 and verse 30, Jesus says, And truly, did many, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. John says, I wrote these things so that you may believe. The written revelation. Something else that I think is important for us to remember as we wind this down. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6, Paul says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively, figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. You may learn not to think beyond what is written. People today, I think this is an epidemic. People are thinking beyond what is written. And they take their ideas, they take their opinions, they take their personal beliefs and their want-tos, and they add these things to what God has said. We need to learn, as Paul says here, not to think beyond what is written. Somebody says, well, God didn't say I couldn't do this. Or God didn't say I couldn't do that. My question is, where did God say that you could? Because, going back to the fundamental and first principle, God has told us everything He wants. God has told us what He wants us to do. It's for the instruction in righteousness all things that God wants from us are provided for us in Scripture. If He wanted a particular thing done, He would have told us He wanted it done. And since He didn't say He wanted it done, what should we do with that thing? Should leave it off. That could apply to so many things that the religious world today practices. The Bible, my friend, is God's objective message that we may know and understand all of God's Word. God gave us the Bible for that purpose. And through God's objective message, the Bible, we can be confident in what we believe. We can be confident in what we practice. Listen, if what we practice in our service to God, in our worship to Him, if we cannot find a thus saith the Lord for it, we don't need to be doing it. Because God gave us this Bible to teach us what He wants. The Bible contains everything we need. And by diligently studying this book, we can know His will. We can become enlightened as to what is true and discern that which is wrong. And we will be, made, and we'll be equipped to do everything God wants us to do. God gave us this book to guide us to heaven. This is the instruction manual to get there. Now, you want to throw his book away. You want to throw his word away. You're going to be ignorant as to what God wants from you. You're going to be ignorant as to what God has promised you. And you're also going to be ignorant of the consequences of rejecting his book. And I want to plead with you not to do that. Let's accept God's words as just that, God's word. Let's be as those Thessalonians who did not receive the word of God as though men wrote it, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 8, 24. Except you believe that I am He, Jesus said. You will die in your sins. We are to confess that faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. 
if we believe in our heart, if we confess that Jesus is the Lord, then we will be saved. We are told to repent. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5. Jesus also said, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Let's take what the Lord says in his word and follow it. Jesus also said, he who endures to the end will be saved. So are we going to believe the scripture? Many people today, sadly, when it even comes to the plan of salvation, they don't believe the scripture they believe what they want to believe. Let's go back to God's Word. If we can help you in any way this morning, please come as we stand. As we sing. Where live is